This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The word is sharper than any two-edged sword. And it cuts deep into my heart. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the Word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the Word to Stand On for Life. This is the Friday edition. And on this radio program, we uh, take your Bible questions. We want to help you understand what the Word of God means and what it says and how to put it into practice in your life. My name is Pastor Ken Cruzado from Calvary Chapel of San Antonio here in San Antonio, Texas. And this week, I've had the great privilege of filling in for for my pastor, Pastor Ron Arbaugh, who is still on vacation with his lovely wife, Paula. They uh, are doing well, continue to send their love to the radio listening audience, um, uh, and they're continuing to ask for your prayers. And so thank you for those that have been praying. Uh, Please continue to pray that the Lord would simply speak to them and give them uh, a time of rest, but even more importantly, uh, just clarity, clarity on, on, on vision and clarity about the things that the Lord wants us to do next. Uh, well, it's the Friday edition, and so that means uh, I have a couple of announcements here, and we'll get started with the show. Uh, that means Friday night we have our New Testament Bible study, and tonight Pastor Will will be teaching, and he'll be teaching Third John. That will be lots of fun. Talking about dear friend Gaius. And so that'll be great. Uh, I will be filling in on Sunday for Pastor Ron here at Calvary Chapel. I'll be teaching all three services. We will be in in Second Timothy, uh, something that the Lord has really been speaking to my heart about. I'm pretty excited about that Bible study. And then I do have a couple of prayer requests. I've been mentioning uh, during the week, about Kamal. And so I want to ask the radio listening audience to continue to please keep Kamal in prayer. Kamal, if uh, you remember, is the the young two, almost three-year-old girl from Uganda who just arrived this week and is staying with her mom, Fauzi, uh, uh, with one of the families here at church. This is part of the ministry that we, we work with from the Children's Heart Project. And, and they do a wonderful thing. They, they have children all around the world that they bring in to receive life-saving heart surgery here in San Antonio. And so Kamal is, uh, from what I understand, is ready to go. Surgery has been scheduled for Monday morning at 8 a.m. So please, if you would, remember to keep her, uh, the doctors, in prayer. We would greatly appreciate it. Uh, the next prayer request is for our dear friend Raina. And so Raina has uh, she has 
been someone that Pastor Ron has been asking for prayer for uh, many times uh, here at the church and over the radio airwaves. We want to ask you to please continue to keep Raina in prayer. She's going through a tremendous difficult time uh, with physical issues and, and uh, what we what the latest news is uh, is that on Monday uh, she starts her sixth round of chemo, and so pray that it it helps. Um, pray for Raina. Pray for Carl. Uh, dear dear friends of ours here, the the Calvary Chapel family here in San Antonio. So thank you again for keeping Kamal and Raina in your prayers. One more quick programming note that we'll get right into the questions. Um, Next week will be all pre-recorded programs. And so on this radio show, uh, instead of being live, there will be all pre-recorded programs. So you can still submit your questions, and please do. Uh, please email them. Uh, but the phone lines won't be open to take questions next week. Pastor Ron will be back from vacation on July 2nd and back here in the radio uh, studio to take your live calls on July 2nd, Monday. So for next week, uh, continue to submit your questions and Pastor Ron will take them when he gets back. The phone numbers to call in to the radio show today is 210-340-9585, 210-340-9585. The toll-free number is 877 877- Six three zero five seven five seven. That's eight seven seven six three zero five seven five seven. The email address is questions at calvarysa dot com. Uh, you can submit questions through our church app, um, or you can also call in uh, through the KSLR mobile app. There's a call now button at the top, and it will connect you right to the studio to submit your questions. And so with that, we will get right to the questions that have already been submitted. There's quite a few of them. Uh, The first one actually comes from Brian. And I knew this one was going to come sometime. (laughs) Here's a question from Brian. First Timothy chapter two, verse 15 says, women will be saved through childbearing. Can you explain what this means? Well, Brian, uh, I would just tell you up front, I have no idea. I have no idea what Paul the Apostle means when he says this. Now, we can glean here in the context of what I think it means, but when you take this verse, and and this is something that so many people get caught up on, uh, when you extract just this verse by itself without the context, it's easy to be confused. Because Paul clearly says that women will be saved through childbearing. Now let's look at the context. And I think from this we can at least make some, uh, ascertain at least what, what it can mean. The first thing we always do, though, is when we come across difficult verses, we have to understand what it cannot mean. Uh, What it can't mean is this. We know that we cannot be saved by works. Ephesians chapter 2 clearly tells us this. And throughout numerous places of the Bible, salvation is only by faith. So, uh, by specifically by faith in Jesus Christ, 
And so when Paul says here that, that women will be saved through childbearing, we, let's look at what the context says. So I'm going to read just the surrounding verses, and I think it'll be clear. At least we'll have an idea of what, what it may mean. Uh, Paul says this, a woman, in verse 11, should learn in quietness and full submission. I do not permit a woman to teach or to have authority over a man. She must be silent. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. That's verse 13. So what this verse and what this context is telling us is that Paul is giving instructions to Timothy about orderly worship within the church. Uh, because there has been disorder, Paul is giving, remember these are the pastoral epistles, he's giving Timothy specific instructions on how to have orderly worship. And, and so when Paul is talking here about not permitting a woman to teach, he's specifically referring to the authority I do not permit a woman to teach or to have authority over a man. She must be silent. This is the verse that makes it very clear that women, though as gifted as they may be, even with the gift of teaching, uh, cannot be pastors. They can't be pastors because it violates the authority that God has set in place. It doesn't mean that they're less gifted. It doesn't mean that they're not as important. Absolutely not. It simply means that there's an order that God has designed in the church. Um, And so that's the context of which we're dealing with. And then in verse 13, as I read, he makes a reference to Genesis. For Adam was formed first, then Eve, and Adam was not the one deceived. But the woman who was deceived and became a sinner, but women, verse 15, will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith, love, and holiness with propriety. Uh, It is a difficult passage, especially with verse 15, but here's where I would glean from the context. Since we know the context is dealing with order and authority, Paul isn't saying that salvation for the woman comes through them giving birth. I mean, logically, That would mean that only women who can give birth would be saved, which we know is not true. But what it could mean is that women will be preserved instead of thinking of salvation coming because of works, because we know that's not a biblical concept. Women will be preserved through the childbearing. And this is through the difficulty of enduring... um, the, the consequences of sin. Again, that reference to Genesis is pointing to what happened in the garden. And because of that, we know that thorns and thistles entered into the world. Well, this beautiful thing of childbearing uh, also has a, a significant picture for us. Uh, through difficulty and through pain comes can come a beautiful thing. And, and again, I... I I I wish Paul would have kind of explained it better or worded it a different way. That's really all that I have, and I, I other beyond that uh, would be just more speculation. I would also add this, Brian. Anyone that definitively says with this passage, this is exactly what it means, I would be very cautious because uh, we just don't know exactly what he's referring to. 
So anyways, Brian, I hope that helps. I'm sorry I couldn't give you a better answer. Let's move on to the next question. This question comes from Richard. Richard says, When Jesus dealt with the adulterous woman, the Pharisees brought before him, he told her to go and sin no more. He did, or did he tell the woman at the well uh, not to continue the life she led? Richard, yes, he did, but not in the same way he did to the adulterous woman in John chapter 8. So let me explain. Here in the passage, and you're referring to John chapter 4, this is the woman at the well, uh, the Syrophoenician woman whose story is, is absolutely wonderful. But the main part of the story is, is well, the, the main gist of the story is that Jesus has a conversation with her, and they're at the well. And then when Jesus offers her living water, she starts to question him. And she's wondering because he's a Jew and she, he's not supposed to be speaking to her. And then he says this, as the conversation continues, I won't go through all the details, but Jesus is starting to tell her about the living water. He says, everyone who drinks this water, referring to the water at the well, will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water that I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And so the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. And then this is where Jesus gets personal. Verse 16, he says, He told her, Go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. And Jesus said to her, you are right when you say I have no husband. The fact is, you've had five husbands. And now the man that you have is not your husband. So what you said is quite true. And this is when the conversation changes. And she says, okay, 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 you know me, you see me, I understand that you're a prophet. And then she starts to deflect a little bit by talking about the place of worship. And then God, and then Jesus says, look, here's the bottom line. Those who worship God must worship in spirit and in truth. And I who speak to you, because she says, I'm looking, we're waiting for the Messiah. She says, I am he. I am he. Now, how does this relate to your question? Here's what I here's how I read this. When he directly told the woman in the adulterous woman in John chapter 8, look, your sin has been laid before you. Now go and sin no more. In the same way, but in a using a different method, Jesus said, look, your sin has been laid out woman, your sin has been laid out before you, and I've revealed now myself to you, because I who speak to you am he, the one you've been waiting for. 
And that's when he would say to her, look, what you've been waiting for, you now see standing in front of you. So now you need to change. And that's exactly what happens. Because you remember right after that, the disciples arrive. They're like, whoa, whoa, what's going on? You're talking to this lady. She takes off. She goes back into the village. And then she brings everybody back. Because what she says is, you guys have got to come see this. This man told me everything that I've ever did. Could this be the Christ? And because God had started that work in her heart, there was a change. And it affected not only her, but it started to affect other people. And I really believe that's when her life started to change. And she and Jesus told her in a different way, go and sin no more. Go and sin no more. So, uh, Richard, I I love this story. Uh, I could talk about it forever, but I, I hope that helps. Let me give you the phone numbers if you want to call into the radio show. The phone number here is 210-340-9585. 210-340-9585. The toll-free number, if you're out of the area, is 877 877-630-5757. If it's easier for you to submit a question uh, via email, you can do that by sending an email to questions, that's plural, questions at calvarysa.com. All right, let's go ahead and continue. We don't have any phone calls yet. So the next question, this is a good one. It comes from Oliver uh, He says, does God, knowing what I will do, violate my free will? This is a question we get often on the radio show, and and it's an important one. So, Oliver, I hope I can help. Uh, Oliver, the answer is no. God will not violate your free will, and because he knows what you will do, it does not violate your free will. In fact, we should rejoice that we have a God who is so big that he knows exactly what's going to happen. But just because he knows what's going to happen does not mean he violates our free will. We have to get this uh, way of thinking out of our minds because we're thinking within the limited uh, mind frame of, uh, of a human being. And it doesn't compute with us that God would would know everything but still give us free will. But that's exactly what the scriptures say. Think about this. If God knew what was going to happen, if what he knew that was going to happen was caused by him, well, then that's different. Because then that would be a violation of, his, of my free will. But just because he does know it, it still, it doesn't mean that he's taken away our choice. So I want you to think about this, Oliver, and this, I hope, simplifies it. Think about the very question you're asking. Did God give you the free will to even ask a question like that? Of course he did. But did God know he was going, you were going to ask it? Of course he did. So just because God knows doesn't mean we don't have free will. 
And we have to understand this fundamental uh, trait about who God is. He's not causative in the sense, or he's not determinative in the sense that he, he makes everything happen. Because if he did that, then he would remove our will to choose. Then we would all be robots. But here's the beautiful thing about the sovereignty of God. The sovereignty of God doesn't mean that God uh, does whatever he wants. So he can, but that's not, what, uh, that's not the best way to describe, to illustrate what God's sovereignty is like. God's sovereignty simply means this, that he can take anything and everything. He can take all of my choices all of my, even my bad choices, and he takes them and uses them for his glory. So I I hope that makes sense. Um, Thank you for your question, Oliver. I have a a phone call, a couple of phone calls. Uh, So let's go to line one, Adelia from San Antonio. You're on the air. Hello. I have a, a response to your first um, question about women will be saved in childbearing. And I am just wanting to give another side to that that I considered is the fact that it's preceding that God has given women her role as to a man. And in various parts of the scriptures, he's told us that the women's job is to keep the children in order. That's what the women's job was. She was to preserve the children. Now, a woman uh, will be saved in childbearing could also be not the literal bearing in birth, but bearing the child up to beauty and honor in God, raising the child to know the word. She is going to be saved in childbearing because that child would maybe be lost without her. And in order for her to do this for a child, she has to grow in the Lord herself because that's That's the progression of woman's role in Timothy and other places of the body, of the Bible. That's, That's our role. And I'm thinking if it doesn't mean that, because God uses the word bearing in other ways. He tells us to bear one another burden. That's correct. You know, know, actually, Adelia, I I actually agree with you. And and that's one of the things that I had uh, written down on my notes. But yes, one of the ways to understand this passage is because the context uh, grants that, that, that there are distinct roles for the the men and the women within uh, the functioning church and within the family also and so what you what you say is absolutely correct absolutely correct i i do feel like that in this role that god has set before women that in the fulfillment of it the the traditional biblical role for women is is one that when she perseveres through it she fulfills the role that god has uh, assigned to her and by that, yes, she takes care of the home, and, and not that she's the only one that does that, but that's a great responsibility that godly women embrace. So, yes, absolutely, Adelia. Thank you for that. 
Uh, we've got just a few more minutes. Uh, we're gonna, but we have enough time to take the second call. Line two, Charles from San Antonio. You're on the air. I just have a question. Uh, you know how when you get saved and everything, and they tell you repent of your sins. What do they mean? How do you do this? Oh, great question. Great question, Charles. And so, uh, so here's what it means. The word repent literally means it's a 180-degree turn. And so from a practical illustration, you're headed away from God towards sin, and, and you're turned the other way toward God and, and, and walking towards him, walking with him and walking towards him, empowered by his spirit. So when a person gets, uh, is born again... They are responding to the prompting of conviction of sin by the Holy Spirit. God is constantly convicting people of their sin, but he will never force anyone to respond. And that response is simply repenting and saying, God, you're right. I'm wrong and you're right. I'm sorry. Forgive me of my sin. And so the word repent is that 180 degree turn from going away from God and turning to him. Here's the best part about that, Charles. It's it's all the work of God, and it doesn't depend on anything that we do. God simply convicts us of our sin, and we respond to it. And then he fills us with his spirit. He comes, first of all, indwells in us. He comes and lives in us. And then he empowers us by his spirit to walk with him. Does that help? Yes, it does. Thank you. Oh, great, Charles. That's a great question, more important than you can imagine. I'm so glad that you asked it. Well, you can hear the music. That means we are up at the end of the break of the first half of the Word to Stand On for Live. This is the Friday edition, and uh, I'm Pastor Ken Cruzado here filling in for my pastor, Pastor Ron. We will be back in two minutes. Back to the Word to Stand On for Life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome back to the second half of the Friday edition of the Word to Stand On for Life. Uh, that means it's the end of the week. This is the last show of the week. And then, uh, as a reminder, next week... We have pre-recorded programs, and so I will not be joining you next week, but Pastor Ron will be back on July 2nd, Monday, to take your calls. Phone numbers to call into the show today, 210-340-9585, 210-340-9585. Toll-free number is 877-630-5757, 877 Five, seven. Uh, the email address to submit your questions is questions at calvarysa.com. Questions, plural, at calvarysa.com. And so tonight, if you're just tuning in, is, is uh, our New Testament study here at Calvary Chapel. And since Pastor Ron is not here, uh, Pastor Will is teaching tonight. He's teaching out of Third John. That's going to be great. And so if you normally come on Friday nights, uh, 
we will continue business as usual Friday night Bible study 7 o'clock here at the church uh, continue to please keep Pastor Ron and Paula in prayer they send their love to the radio listening audience uh, again he will be back June, I'm sorry, July 2nd back in the studio okay let's go back to our questions we have uh, our next question oh yes Actually, before I go to the next question, I, I, I was up against the break. Uh, Charles's question is so important. Uh, uh, I would like to elaborate on that just a little bit to make sure I'm absolutely clear. This is the single most important question anyone could ask uh, because it has to do with being born again. What does it mean to repent? And there is something that I wanted to add uh, that I didn't get to talk about at the first half. So... Um, Charles, this isn't about you, but but I want to make sure that our radio listening audience understands this clearly because oftentimes when people ask questions like that, they're dealing with some some type of inner turmoil or, or, or doubt. Sometimes a new believer isn't sure if they're saved and, and not sure what that means. Um, uh, and so we want to be clear. Uh, when a person is born again, they are a brand new creation in Christ. That means the old you is gone. The old Charles is gone. And, and you have been made into a brand new creation in Christ. Jesus didn't take the old Charles and kind of, you know, fix him up. I always liken it to, uh, you know, God taking uh, a car in a total wreck. Uh, and, and trying to somebody trying to fix it using a whole bunch of bondo that's not the way God works with our hearts there's when our hearts are broken when our hearts are infected with sin God doesn't just clean us up he gives us a brand new heart he gives us his heart and that new heart is a heart in which he lives in and in which he fills with his love and, and that's what it means to be born again. The word repent literally means that you were going in one direction, Charles, and you're no longer going that direction. It's like God has turned you around and you're now, instead of walking away from him, you're walking to him and you're walking with him. And so I, I hope that that makes sense. Um, Okay, so let's go ahead and go on to the next question. Uh, this one's from Robert. Robert says, should we share the gospel with someone who is terminally ill? If so, how should we do it? Well, Robert, this, this particular question is near and dear to my heart uh, because uh, I've gone through this a few times, and uh, particularly with my dad. Uh, my dad passed away a few years ago, and uh, he he was a difficult father. Growing up in a, a military house, uh, we were raised in a not only uh, a military strict fashion, but it was also a religious home. We grew up in a Catholic home where we had religious rules and combined with military rules, well, we lived in a house that was, uh, it was difficult to say the least. But uh, a few years before my dad passed away, my dad had a stroke. 
And when he had a stroke, it changed his life completely. You see, prior to that time when he had a stroke, he was, in his own mind, right with God, but he wasn't. Still living a life of sin. And we quickly saw that the stroke had done so much damage that is likely that he would not recover from it. He had suffered a major stroke, and he uh, not only suffered a major stroke, but he the, the, the paramedics weren't able to get to him um, quickly enough. And so, uh, so what happened was and he had suffered a, a lot. And in that time after the stroke, though he still um, was cognizant, uh, physically, his his body was nowhere near what he used to be able to do. And he was a man that was used to doing everything himself. He taught us how to lay concrete when we were like uh, maybe five or six years old. We did our whole backyard. Uh, maybe I was eight years old when I remember me and my brother just learning how to lay concrete. And he was teaching us these things. And it was... That's the kind of home, and that's the kind of person he was. Uh, but when the stroke happened, and and we knew that it wasn't going to be long, we didn't know how much time he had. What we saw, Robert, was the Holy Spirit really humbling him. And so, should we share the gospel with someone that's terminally ill? Absolutely, absolutely. Because here's what we find that hearts hearts are very receptive when our bodies start to fail. Not always, but oftentimes, hearts are very receptive when their bodies start to fail. Because like my dad, we have pride. And when that pride is just humbled instantly, and you can't even move your fingers, uh, you know, we had to we, we, we had to help our dad with some of the most basic basic things, very humbling things. And and as we would do that, uh, you could see some resistance and some discomfort because that wasn't something my dad was used to. But we knew the Lord was doing a work in his heart. And as we began to and continued to just share Jesus with him and demonstrate Jesus to him, whether or not he was fully cognizant of what was going on because of the stroke, it affected his brain. Sometimes he was there, sometimes he wasn't. It didn't matter. We shared the gospel with him and we continued to share Jesus with him. And, and God really, really began to, to work. One specific story about my dad, if you'll permit me here to just get personal for a second. Uh, you know, when he suffered the stroke, uh, he 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 wasn't bedridden. Um, so he was in a wheelchair, and he would come to church here at Calvary Chapel. He would always, I would always wheel him in, and we'd sit next to the post. There's a pole here in the sanctuary, and it's kind of an empty spot next to it. We'd, I'd roll the wheelchair there. And just put him right next to me, and and uh, you know my dad uh, would always wear his navy hat because he was proud of serving his country and was proud of what he did in the navy. And so people would walk by and give him, you know, a high five with the, with the one hand that was working. 
But as he kept coming and as the Lord was doing work in his heart in that humbled state, no matter how hard he tried to hide it, uh, his heart was softening. And it was undeniable that Jesus was loving him and calling him to himself. And one day he told me this. Like he wanted to come to church, and he was talking about church, and, and he said to me, because remember, we grew up in a Catholic home, going to church all the time, every time. But he said to me, I like church. He would never say that before, but then this is what he said afterwards. He said, I've never been to a place where people actually knew my name and cared about me. And that was God softening his heart. Softening his heart. He would, as much as he tried to, admit, uh, tried to hide the fact that he was still trying to take care of himself in that paralyzed state, uh, his pride was humbled and, and his heart was softened because people kept sharing Jesus with him. So the second part of your question, Robert, if so, how do we do it? You just tell them. You just tell them with consistency. You demonstrate it with consistency. But the hope of Jesus Christ in the gospel, the good news, is simple, super simple. We don't need to complicate it. And here's what we find also, too. I found this out personally. When somebody's terminally ill, that person quickly filters out all the things that aren't that important. When somebody's terminally ill, they don't say, I wish I would have worked more hours. I wish I would have spent more time in the office. I, I wish I would have made better investments. As important as we think those things are while we're living our lives, the truth is when someone is dealing with the reality of their mortality, all these things that we think are important go by the wayside. And reality starts to set in. And, and I saw that with my dad. If I were to hold a grudge against some of the things that my dad did and said when we were growing up, well, my flesh could have easily and willingly exact revenge while he was in a vulnerable state. But that's not what Christians do. God's heart towards him was, in this humbled state, I want you to know how much I love you. I want you to know how much I want to forgive you of your sin. And then we see the power of God softening the hardest hearts. So, Robert, uh, should we share the gospel with someone who's terminally ill? Absolutely. You just do it. Just do it. Thank you for asking that question. Uh, let's go ahead and move on to... Uh, the next question. Uh, the next question is from Anonymous. Anonymous asks, why do most Christians expect 
unbelievers to act like Christians. Hmm. Well, anonymous, I, I, I don't know the context of oh, your question, but I, uh, in a general sense, uh, I understand what you mean. Um, uh, why do most Christians expect unbelievers to act like Christians? I, the only answer I can tell you is because of their flesh. Because of their flesh. Does that make it okay? Absolutely not. Here's one thing we have to remember as Christians. And Anonymous, I don't know. It doesn't sound like you're a Christian. But again, I don't know who you are. But I will say this to those of us who are believers. We have to stop placing expectations on sinners. The only thing we can expect from sinners is sin. Is sin. We can't expect anything else from them. So if their language offends us, if their if their attitude or personalities rub us the wrong way, then what we need to do is and I tell this to my guys all the time because this is what Pastor Ron told me. In ministry, and we're always in ministry, you only need two things. You need thick skin and you need a tender heart. If you're skin is thickened by Jesus, then what will happen is this. When you interact with unbelievers, not only will you not place expectations on them, but what you'll do is you'll have a a, a thick skin, a protection against the things that they say, understanding that they're not attacking you personally. They're just acting, acting out what they really are, sinners. They're in sin. They're apart from Christ. And apart from Christ, we can do nothing good. They are just like how I was. So my thick skin, the thick skin that Jesus gives me, will remind me, look, I can't get offended by what they say. I can't get offended by what they do because they're simply doing what they, all that they know to do. And the second part of this is maintaining a tender heart. It's easy to say, I have thick skin and block everybody out, but you, you have to have thick skin and a tender heart. A tender heart is Jesus' heart. And it means this. As a believer, you have been forgiven of all of your sin. And because you have been forgiven, the forgiveness that God has extended to you and granted to you for your sin towards him, which is far greater than any other person's sin towards you, because he's forgiven you of all of your sin, it's easy to forgive other people of their sin. That's what a tender heart does, a thick skin and a tender heart. Be grateful to God as a believer for the forgiveness of your sin And what will happen is you won't have expectations for unbelievers, especially to act like Christians. It just makes no sense to put an expectation on someone to act like something that they're not. They can't. So, Anonymous, I I hope that helps. Let's go turn to the phone lines. Line 1, Jimmy from San Antonio. You're on the air. Can you hear me? Yes, Jimmy, I can hear you. Okay, um... Yeah, I heard you, uh, you said your dad was, you know, he had a stroke and all that. And and then, and then later on, his mind was open to uh, accepting Jesus. My my dad was the same way. 
You know, when I, when he was healthy and everything, he didn't want to talk about it. He says he says that it was religion, and I didn't want to hear about it. But then when he found out he had cancer, he had cancer last year in November, and I, I was in, I was on this prayer line, this Christian prayer line with my friend, and he says, and I said, Dad, the timing was perfect. I said, Dad, I'm with my friends on the Christian prayer line. Would you like them to pray for you? And he says, Sure, no problem, son. So my friend John Trevino, hmm. he he, uh, he prayed for my father, and he says, "Sir, are you willing to accept Jesus Christ as your Savior?" And my dad said, "Yes." <laughs> you know, he knew he was going to die. He, uh, he, he, he figured right. he was going to die, but he was a living miracle because they said he was going to die in two months, but he lived for another five more months. Wow! With no pain, I love that. No pain I... until the last two days they had to, have to give him morphine, but. You know, he. This I, I, I can relate what you were saying because because how you said your father was, you know, he wasn't real receptive, right? That's correct. You're absolutely right. And so our stories are very, very similar, Jimmy. And and what a privilege to be used by God to reach the hardest hearts, and 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 especially when it hits home like that, Jimmy. Oh, I, I know exactly. I know exactly how you feel. And and I'm grateful that uh, you were able to share that story uh, with us because it's more important than you understand, more important than you can ever understand. And here's the thing to remember also, Jimmy. The same time that God is using you to work in the hearts uh, of those around us, and, and specifically in this case to work on your dad's heart, he's doing a work in your heart also. Yeah. He's doing the work uh, uh, because, uh, like I said earlier, w- in my heart, uh, my flesh is just as evil and wicked as, as anyone else's. And, and my flesh thinks about and has flashbacks of, of all the things that I had to endure and all the words that he said. But Jesus' yeah, heart towards my dad wasn't like that. Yeah. So, well, Jimmy, thank you for sharing that. I'm glad that encouraged you. Uh, in yeah. fact... Um, Go ahead. I was a, a United States Navy corpsman in the Navy. So. I was a Navy corpsman. So. Very cool. Very cool. My, my dad. I know your dad. Was, oh, yeah. You might have met my dad because when you were coming here, you might have seen him. Maybe. Uh, my dad worked in the, in the galley. Oh, he was an MS. MS uh, yes, uh, my dad was a chief. He was an MS. Yeah. Uh, so, so um, well, thank you, Jimmy. You're welcome. Um, yeah, I, I, I met your mom. Your mom told me you know, she works in the clinic, so she, I, I met her. She was taking That's my blood right. pressure. And, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know my whole family, Jimmy. <laughs> well, thank her, you, Jimmy, for your call. She said you're her, her oldest. So. Yeah, I sure am. I sure am. Yes, I am. <laughs> Okay, Jimmy. Well, thank you for your call, and thank you for the encouragement. Uh, I will say this. This is actually uh, a big part of the Sunday Bible study. I won't talk about it at length, but, uh, you know, in Second Timothy, in that second chapter, Paul giving instruction to Timothy about dealing with difficult people. Uh, and that isn't 
the the exact wording that he's using, but that's the general context. Because remember, Timothy was a young pastor who had a lot of challenges there in Ephesus. And then one of them was just dealing with difficult people. But here's what I love. I will say this. When, when Paul was talking to Timothy, he encouraged him by saying in chapter 2, you can't quarrel, you can't fight, you've got to be able to teach. Not resentful, Timothy. You can't harbor bitterness. Because those who oppose him, he must gently instruct. Here's the key. In the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth, and that they will come to their senses and escape from the trap of the devil. If I stayed in a place where resentment occupied my heart, I wouldn't be able to be used by God to see him work on my dad. And if any one of us are in this place where bitterness, resentment, anger, malice, strife, or just things that weigh you down from your past still affect you and how you treat this person or specific people today, I want you to know that God wants, to, God wants you to get rid of that. He wants to take that from you. All the while you carry that heavy burden that you were not built to carry, you render yourself useless to be used by God. And I don't, and I don't want to be insensitive to your past pain, but what I want you to know is this. God wants to use you to reach people that, that have hurt you in the past. And if we maintain bitterness, then we can't, we can't be used. But if we consider how much we've been forgiven, then maybe in the same way that we came to our senses, so too will those who have offended us in the past, those who have hurt us in the past, so too will they come to their senses and God would grant them repentance. What a beautiful thing. What a beautiful thing. That's the study for Sunday. At, and, and, you know, uh, there's more to it, but I just love that fact, how Paul's instruction to Timothy in dealing with difficult people means, Timothy, you've got to remember, the, the thick skin and the tender heart comes from remembering what the Lord has done for you. And if you keep that at the forefront of your mind... There's nothing that anyone can do to, to, to uh, offend you to, so that you will harbor bitterness towards them. God will use you to reach those who are so hard to love. And it's a beautiful thing. I mean, it really, really is a beautiful thing. That's the reason why God saved us. Well, you can hear the music playing. And because it's Friday, it means that this is the last show of the week. I want to thank you for letting me be a part of your afternoon this week. Thank you for the privilege of taking your calls. Pastor Ron will be back on July 2nd. Pre-recorded shows next week. Bye-bye. 
Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapels, the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The word to stand on for life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The word to stand on for life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Well, 